0: Welcome to Dakota Health, a health and medicine podcast from the University of North Dakota School of Medicine and Health Sciences. I'm Kristen Peterson, along with host Brian Schill. Each episode of Dakota Health explores a specific healthcare topic with UND-based faculty, students, and staff from across North Dakota. Today, we speak with Dr. Jeannie McHugo, chair of our Department of Physician Assistant Studies, about the evolution of her profession, North Dakota's leadership in helping grant PAs greater scope of practice, and the ongoing healthcare workforce challenge.
1: Thank you for your time, Dr. McHugo, and welcome to Dakota Health.
2: All right. Thank you, Brian. It's a privilege to be here.
1: Great. So the UND Master of Physician Assistant Studies program, that has a long and complex history, uh, going back more than 50 years, right? So help us, uh, very in a nutshell, if you can, help us understand that history.
2: Yes. The profession was actually born or originated from veterans returning from the Vietnam War in the late 60s. And so you have a population of um medically trained and experienced individuals returning with excellent skills and abilities with really no place to go in the civilian world. Mm -hmm. So a very visionary physician from Duke University recognized that and um, started to lay the framework for the PA profession in the late 60s. Shortly thereafter other universities started to start those visions as well. University of Washington and then University of North Dakota. So they're kind of our sister institution in the development of this program. I give a lot of credit to those who have gone before me with that vision, namely the late Robert Elkema, among many others who just had that vision of um, increasing access to healthcare in our rural areas of North Dakota and surrounding areas as well. So that was developed then with a small class of veterans, quickly transitioned to the four-year registered nurse as the ideal applicant, often supported by a rural community to come to UND to obtain those extended skills, to then return to that community uh, for so many years of service, uh, whatever that looked like for that community. These people were grounded in those rural areas, often born and raised in that area or deeply rooted by family ties to that area um, and served those communities very well. Um, our Our profession grew and expanded. Uh, We began to look at a master's degree in the early 2000s. So as a nation, our profession was growing um, across the country. Again, those who went before me were very visionary in in seeing that and keeping the pulse of the profession alive and working with our administration here at the School of Medicine and Health Sciences, but also the School of Graduate Studies in developing what is now our Master's of PA Studies program. Um, So that's been 53 years now. So the curriculum has has changed and updated and ebbed and flowed over the years, and we now have a 24-month program um, with some basic science coursework at the beginning. And that core structure of the classroom alternating with the clinical experience is the same as it was in the origins in the early 70s. Um, We've added more clinical experiences on the back half with some of the specialty aspects um, to round out our 24-month curriculum.
1: So that's wonderful. And so what I'm hearing is a sort of evolution of the profession over the course of several years, and that's continuing, right? And so we're seeing, for example, an increasing independence or autonomy, particularly in rural areas of North Dakota. And North Dakota led the charge for that uh, greater independence for PAs, right? Help us understand what what role North Dakota played in that evolution.
2: Yes. So in any Medical Practice Act law, as model legislation from our American Academy of Physician Assistants. There are typically um, six key elements as part of that model legislation, and North Dakota has been a leader in obtaining all six of those key elements. Something came about in terms of lessening the constriction on PA practice and allowing more flexibility, specifically for us in rural areas, and that is called optimal team practice. And this notion allowed um, states to look a little more creatively at the role of the PA within their populations. And that would allow the healthcare team at the place of employment to decide how to structure those members of that team, Mm -hmm. rather than a state law determining how that should work. This fostered um, strength in healthcare teams, It allowed access to care even more so than prior and helped meet patient care needs quite a bit as well. And so this was largely the work of our North Dakota Academy of PAs, along with other health and medical groups that supported, and then, of course, the legislative body. And so this new change of the Medical Practice Act uh, went into place at the 2019 legislative year. In addition to that, um, and even prior, We have had, um, we've been granted a seat at the table, if you will, by the Board of Medicine, and this was an appointed PA within our state, um, appointed by the governor, and now most recently we actually have two PA seats on the Board of Medicine, and I think that's been a very valued aspect of our growth. It gives us a seat at that table, it allows us to advocate and educate about what our role is and how we can benefit our patients, especially in rural areas. So the new practice law gives that autonomy to the place of employment so that entity in and of itself can determine how we can utilize the pa at the height of their scope of practice how they were trained what they are able to do in that setting um, amongst the other team members as well so it's been a heightened communication advocacy and growth um, allowing our pas to do what they're trained to do
1: very good so we, you've discussed rural health quite a bit in uh, these, these answers to these questions, and so help help the listener understand just how important the PA is for rural health care, not only in North Dakota, but around the country, and then, of course, the role that School of Medicine and Health Sciences plays in producing rural providers for our state.
2: Thank you. So that has been um, a mission of our PA program since the inception, was the access to care, the access to rural medicine so we have a high return rate of our students to the rural areas, to those primary care areas, um, allowing the smaller communities to maintain health care. And now with the adjusted legislative medical practice act, it li- it lightens the burden, the administrative burden of having direct physician supervision in a contractual type of way. So for example, you may have a PA who has worked alongside a physician in a community for 30 years. Mm-hmm. And the physician would really like to retire. Well, prior to the change of the the law, if they retired, the PA also had to move or retire Mm -hmm. alongside. Well-established physician assistant, trained alongside of a physician, worked in that community, grounded in that community, and now they would have no purpose or meaning Mm -hmm. in that particular community. So the change of law allows that person to stay on as a PA in the community to serve and keep that access to care moving forward.
1: Excellent. Um, and this rural focus too. If I'm if I'm remembering our conversations from the past correctly, it connects to your own background, right? So just give us a quick uh, a biography. Where are you from? How you ended up at UND and so on.
2: Sure. So I hail from a much warmer Dakota, what I call the tropical <laughs> Dakota. Right. Um, and I thought I would never move north because I, I very much dislike the cold. <laughs> but life takes us places that we don't always plan, and so I grew up in a rural part of South Dakota. Um, we were probably about 50 minutes from the nearest health care, which isn't as far as many, but it was, you know, it was a whole day of packing up and driving mm-hmm. to go see the the healthcare provider and coming back home. So, That is near and dear to my heart. Uh, My family still is working the farm um, in rural South Dakota. We try to get back as often as we can. And so I went uh, to school in Minnesota. I was kind of the rebel of the family going out of state and um, went into a, a biology major thinking healthcare, but not really certain where it would be. I was strongly encouraged by my faculty advisor to apply to medical school, which I did. And I had an interview at the University of Minnesota. It went well, but it just didn't feel right for me. There was something um, that just didn't align with what I was looking for. So I suppose in an essence of procrastination of studying some, <clears throat> excuse me, organic chemistry or something in the library, I come across an article uh, written by a physician in New York City who was describing this physician assistant profession. And it just rang true to my values and what I was looking for as a profession. So I took that to my faculty advisor and said, "I think, I think this is it. I think this is what I want to do." Oh, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> you should be a physician. No, I really want to find out more about this profession. So I contacted the author of the article. He was um, very welcoming, and he said, "You know what? We don't really have a PA presence in the Midwest. Um, there's a few schools just starting, but you know, you should, you should look into this." And so. Uh, the rest is history, really. I went to the University of South Dakota for my PA degree, obtained my master's from UNMC in Omaha, and practiced um, in South Dakota for several years before moving into teaching. But that rural medicine PA piece is near and dear to my heart.
1: Very nice. Good. And so, uh, again, the rest is history. And you recently celebrated 50 years, I mean, of the program yeah. here at UND, and you've been here for quite some time. So and we're glad you are. We keep talking about physician assistant as the term, but I've also seen physician associate tossed right. around, and maybe right. you can help me understand where that potential shift is coming from and if that's something you've considered here at North Dakota or, or what, what we do with that sort of discrepancy.
2: That's a very good question. It is part of the advocacy and growth of the profession. Um, I think in the early, late 60s, um, early parts of the profession, early 70s, it was an extension of the physician. That is how this profession was viewed Since then, we've now moved into a graduate professional degree. We are talking about optimal team practice. We're talking about um, a valued member of the healthcare team being eligible to practice at the the height of their scope as what they're trained to be. And uh, there's a sense that the title physician assistant doesn't adequately describe what we can offer the healthcare team. Uh, So this has been a discussion for many, many years. Um, Lots of time and energy um, gone into suggestions and what shall we call ourselves? Um, And so the American Academy of PAs in 2021, after much debate and discussion, passed a resolution affirming a new title of physician associate as the official title of our profession. And it was quite a majority vote at that time. Um, So they felt as though that the new title physician associate Uh, more directly addresses the common misperception of the assistant piece of the former title. So where do we go now with that title? Um, It goes to the level of the states. So I presume that the North Dakota Academy of PAs will be looking at um, legislative language in due time to process the title change through our practice law again. And then at that time, then we as a PA department we'll look to make that change following their enactment of new law.
1: Sure. Good. Dr. Michigo, um you were very instrumental in helping us get out our new uh, 2023 version of Vital Signs, which is the school's annual report, which in- includes all of the data, the graduate data, the enrollment data for our schools, including PA. And I believe you are back with some graduate uh, survey data related to workforce in North Dakota. Could you share some of that with us?
2: Yes. So we were asked as a School of Medicine and Health Sciences, I believe in 2011, to consider a health workforce expansion um, through the initiatives of our legislative body. Um, And with that then, I kind of started to query our recent graduates in terms of where they're selecting to go to work when they're um, finished with the graduation, licensure, certification, all of those processes. So every fall, um, usually about four to five months after the graduation in May, uh, we do just a very short workforce survey. And we've been collecting that data for about eight years now. Um, And it's interesting to see the trends over time and the strength of our program preparing students for primary care, um, how many return to rural, and then, of course, the ultimate question, how many are practicing primary care in rural areas? Mm -hmm. And so then I like to compare that to national data to support the good work that is happening here at the School of Medicine and Health Sciences. Um, So our eight-year average of return to primary care is at about 63%, which nationally, it's about 23%. Mm. So I feel as though our program really, truly is meeting the mission of our our department, our school, our university of serving those in our area with primary care needs. About 49% of our eight-year average is um, obtaining positions in rural areas, um, and nationally, that's about 12%. Mm. And then those that are combining primary care and rural is about 42 percent. So I think we're doing um, great and wonderful things in that area. Another aspect of PA practice oftentimes is uh, the specialties, specifically the surgical specialties, which draws um, new graduates to the more urban areas, if you will, of North Dakota, which could still argue that those are rural, right, Mm -hmm. because you're working with rural patients and um, Combining appointments so that they can only need to travel one day instead of several right. appointments, so kind of aligning those things. Um, so we have a, a small percentage each year that um, chooses to go into those surgical subspecialties and other specialties as well, which just makes a greater healthcare team, right, that they're serving in that way as well.
1: In the in terms of the retention of graduates to North Dakota that's around 50% or it's it's were more than that perhaps
2: um it's likely more than that i don't yeah. have the data specifically um we part of our health workforce expansion work has been to recruit applicants from the area from North Dakota um, from our nearby border states mm-hmm. um and it seems as though we've done a a, a nice job of that as well we range in about that 75 to 82% of our class is from North Dakota and Minnesota, at least nearby. Um, and so I think that that is helpful. It does give us challenge in clinical site placements. Yep. Um, and so it's difficult to, knowing that model from past of trying to keep people near their homes, keep people grounded in that community and in hopes that they will return to that community, that's been a very arduous task of, of finding those placements for those students.
1: Mm-hmm. It's been 50 years, Dr. McHugo, as we already said. Um, What's on the horizon for the program for the next 50 years? Um, What are you hoping to do? Is it expansion? Is it more students, uh, class size, et cetera?
2: That's a really good question, Brian. I think that an expansion of class size would be wonderful. The clinical site placement scarcity is the limiting factor. Um, So I know that there are discussions happening at the level of the school, but also beyond per Dr. Wynn's um, discussion of the work at the North Dakota University System level. And so that's great, because I think through that teamwork and collaboration that maybe we can strategize some solutions uh, to help with greater placement. Another conversation that's happening nationally is um, whether we should grow to a doctorate level Mm -hmm. um, degree. And so that has um, been a topic of discussion for a few years now, kind of weighing those pros and cons and what that might look like for the future. Not going to be a, a quick changeover. It may not ever occur, but it is in our best interest to keep the pulse of the profession across the nation mm. and uh, be prepared and have those conversations early in advance.
1: The PhD level, is that something that's happening at other programs around the
2: country? It is. There's okay. a There's a whole alphabet soup. There's Doctor of Medical Science. There's Doctor of PA Studies. There's mm. all sorts of different types of degrees. There is not an accreditation process for okay. that at this point in time. Um, So there are institutions starting to move in that direction. Our Education Association, just this fall, after again much energy and much work, put out a statement that they are going to continue to adopt the masters as the terminal degree at this time for our profession. And the reality is, other than the research and um, maybe the administrative component, when you're looking at the work and the role of a clinically practicing PA, there doesn't need to be a doctorate, right? We can see patients, we can evaluate, we can treat patients, um, and we're very happy with our scope of practice, especially now that some of the administrative burdens are lifting in terms of legalese. Um, And so nothing really changes if that's what you're looking for, is a clinically practicing PA role. If you're looking to move in education or research or administration, however, then that added degree and those added credentials may be of assistance
1: maybe uh, neither here nor there but that additional degree for a practicing PA at the PhD level or doctoral terminal level would that change reimbursement from Medicare or the insurers would they have to get you have to get paid more
2: or? that's a really good question yeah. i don't see that changing mm-hmm. reimbursement simply for the same reasons that the scope of practice doesn't change okay right these are the things that i can still do as a certified PA through our national certification process Um, So that doesn't change the scope of practice, so I would anticipate Mm -hmm. the reimbursement would remain the same as well. What it does do is potentially gives us a seat at the table of administrative conversations, of educational opportunities, of research opportunities, those types of things.
1: Well, that was all very informative. Dr. McHugo, thank you for your time, and we look uh, for more from the PA program and your, uh, your faculty and students in the near future.
2: Excellent, Brian. Thank you very much for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure.
0: Founded in 1905, the UND School of Medicine and Health Sciences is the only MD-granting institution between Minnesota and Washington State. In addition to its four-year program in medicine, the school houses degree programs in athletic training, medical laboratory science, occupational therapy, physical therapy, physician-assisted studies and public health. It also hosts master and doctoral programs in biomedical science clinical and translational science, and indigenous health. Since 1973, our historic Indians into Medicine program has produced hundreds of indigenous physicians, therapists, lab scientists, and other health professionals for practice in rural and underserved areas. Learn more at med.und.edu. The opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of the University of North Dakota, the UND School of Medicine and Health Sciences, or the North Dakota University System. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this program as medical advice to be used in the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition for yourself or others. Consult your own health providers for any medical issues you may be experiencing.